Welcome to Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. I'm your host Lee Greenwood and I'd just like to say welcome to this episode. This week we've got another interview happening with uh, a good friend of mine from Western Australia, Dennis Bellevue. He's uh, one of the original team who started Vertec, a rope access company based over in Western Australia. Going to be a really interesting chat and talking about how he got into rope access, how the Vertec group started, um, his involvement in that, and what he's up to these days. So yeah, let's get straight into it. Hi Dennis, welcome to the show. Thanks Lee, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, mate. Well done on uh, on doing this as well, by the way. I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, thanks buddy. Thanks, yeah, uh, putting myself out there a little bit, but trying to get it that, uh, get some characters involved and uh, they can tell their stories and I'm just the uh, facilitator to see what's going on. So I'm just going to crack straight on into it so you can sort of introduce yourself. So tell us uh, tell us how you got into rope access and, uh, and what your journey was like. Um, well, I, I was born in Canada, so I kind of moved to the Rockies in kind of the early 90s in a place called Jasper National Park where I, I was heavily into mountain biking and uh, one day I went... Um, went rock climbing and it, I got the bug. So I got really heavily involved in, I guess, uh, sport, um, traditional um, climbing. And I was kind of good at it quite quickly. So I, um, you know, I got, I got a real fondness to it. And at the same time, I met this girl from Perth who was traveling in Canada. So we, um, we kind of got together. I came here in 93, 94 to see if I could actually live in Perth. So I came in as, as not so much as a tourist. And then we went back to Canada in 95, um, we migrated in November 95, yeah, effectively. So um, when I got into town, I was looking to get involved in, I guess, the, in the climbing industry, but as you know, Perth is quite a flat place. So I started working at Mountain Designs in the city and Andy Corbet, uh, who will probably come up later on in the story, um, ended up, he was the manager and I quickly became the assistant manager. And I was kind of involved in, I guess, selling a lot of the access equipment. And this uh, gentleman called Steve McCarthy came in one day with a brochure from um, Stolt Seaway Comex with this looking for, I think, 400 meters of rope. And I asked him what he was, what, 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 you know, what he was using it for, and he basically said, you know, he introduced me to uh, what our rata was and uh, industrial rope access, and immediately uh, that sparked our interest. Um, I started working as a tree surgeon later on that year, so that would have been '96. And ropes and chainsaws and trees were pretty, pretty chaotic. And then I got a call out of the blue from my buddy Andy Corbet, just said, "Hey, man, we're washing some windows for a company called Vertigo. You got to come give this a go." So uh, that would have been in, you know early 97, late 96, um, I started washing windows. So that, that was my, my introduction, man. That sounds uh, sounds a bit crazy. It sounds like you've done most of it before uh, before we've even got into the 2000s. Uh, <laughs> so when did you get involved with the whole Irata thing? Was that when you were washing windows or how did that go? Um, I was working for Vertigo at the time. Um, I'd been with Vertigo for almost a year and a, and a half. It was so at the very end of 90, I think at the end of 97, I was working on a, on a building and um, there was a big bollard over pretty much a, a sharp edge, um, a, kind of a, it's like a marble marble edge. And I asked my supervisor, I said, should we put a protector on here? He goes, no, no, you're just doing a straight drop. It's, it's, you know, it's about 300 mil off the, um, off the building. So I thought, okay, that's cool. So I went down to the very bottom. It's Friday afternoon, three o'clock, last drop of the day. And I looked on my right hand side and there's three windows that we couldn't see from above that, that weren't, um, on the right hand side so i thought oh shit, i'm just gonna swing across so i swing it swing across first swing second swing third swing just about to reach and then um my rope snapped and uh so my so my uh my main line 
went over that bollard, hit the sharp edge of the marble slate, and um, and my backup line caught me. Um, and this is, you know, I was a climber, I was confident, Get, got a bit complacent, I think. Um, so that following week, I went and did my Arata level one. <laughs> well, who, who was doing Arata stuff over in WA at that stage? Uh, Steve McCarthy was okay. the uh, access management were the ones doing it. So, and I was really grateful, you know, that that day the, the birds were, um, you know, the birds were clear, the sky was bluer, the beer tasted amazing. Um, I had another chance to, to give this a go. Um, and I think it, it's made me much more focused on, on what could happen. So, um, and being, you know, being directly there and, and actually experiencing that was something that uh, made me a much better technician as I, uh, as I progressed in the industry. Well, I think there's a lot of people out there that are glad that you got back on the horse and uh, carried on down the rope access road. Um, obviously, being a WA guy, you would have got into the sort of gas and oil industry and worked through that. Um, and then I believe you uh, you started a, a small little uh, venture with a couple of friends. Is that correct? Yeah, well, see, I was I was kind of doing rope access and, and playing music at the time. So I had a band called Chaluka. We were playing quite a lot. And that was my first love. And then my daughter was born in 2002. And then I, I, I took it really seriously. So I started really, you know, that was my full-time job. So I, I worked, we had three predominant companies here in WA, um, four, including Core, who, who I was working for initially. Then, um, so we worked, for, I guess, for all of them and worked all over Asia, worked all over the world really effectively in those 2000 to 2008. And, and in early 2008, um, Access Management announced a buyout from this larger multinational company. and. I met the CEO at the time and I didn't really feel it was right. So I left the industry completely, Lee. I um, became a behavioral safety coach up at Pluto with this gas plant at this big construction site. And I was doing month on month off and it was really hard on my family and I was really struggling. Then my buddy, uh, Andy Corbet called me up. He said, hey man, let's start a rope access company. And I thought, you know, what, what are we gonna start a rope access company with? He goes, mate, he goes, you know, surely we could do better than what, what's happening at the moment. And, We'd worked for everyone else and we knew we saw a lot of the things that they, they could have done better and we're always kind of talking about it ourselves so we we registered vertec um on the 8th of the 8th 2008 uh, myself andy and laura his wife so three of us um, embarked on a journey of entrepreneurship and effectively that became our uh, i guess our new extreme sport but for us i think right from the onset you know i remember the very first phone call when we when we agreed and started chatting about it i said it has to be we have to be different, but we have to be about the people. We have to be about the, the technicians because a lot of companies got a purchase order and that's all they seem to worry about. And for us, it was really strong. Um, it's a strong desire to set a really strong value-based organization where it's for the people, about the people. Um, you know, I've been on the ropes for many years working for you know, these large multinational oil companies. And, you know, for them, it's, it's you know, yeah. You know, if you take the side of the, of the client all the time, the boys get left behind and that's or the girls, boys and girls, um, that, that's kind of what was happening. So we, we, we challenged that. So yeah, Vertic was born in 2008 and um, the week the global financial crisis happened. Good timing, well done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're shitting ourselves. You know, we watched the price of oil go down from 100 and something to $37 a barrel within two weeks. So it was a really, really, really scary time then. Sounds, we just uh, sounds, it's just... sounds pretty similar to today, doesn't it? You know, with uh, where <laughs> oil is sitting at, uh, with everything that's going on today. It's exactly, exactly what's happening today. Yeah, that's uh, that's crazy. So, 
So there's three of you, uh, I'm guessing, sitting in a uh, in a tiny little office somewhere in Perth. Uh, I remember actually visiting it back in, it must have been 2008. Uh, I think it was the week before you got your first employee. And I can remember yourself, Laura and Andy, sitting in the office having arguments over who was going to have to move into the other office with the new person. <laughs> Uh, that's all <laughs> one of my earliest fondest memories of uh, of the Vertec journey. Um, that was uh, 2009. We got a little office in Hillary's. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so that was, uh, and I remember sitting there with uh, with Andy and Laura and saying, "Okay, what's the plan?" And I remember Andy telling me, he said, uh, "I'm going to build it up over five years. I'm going to sell it, and then I'm going to sail around the world on a yacht with my family." So, um, yeah, but. That was that was a plan back in 2009. So, how did that plan go for everybody involved, Dennis? It's exactly what happened, mate. Uh, Laura actually had a photo of a catamaran on the back of my com my, my um, computer screen um, for years, and and it wasn't their ideal catamaran, but they really liked the idea of of, of, of the water it was in. And uh, funny enough, that's uh, what they ended up buying. So we we went on a really steep trajectory for us, Lee. Um, Understanding where where other I guess organizations um, failed or not failed but probably not did so well uh, was was really our client and, and our employee interface. So for us, it was really important that we we set up a culture where we looked after people, we looked after our clients. We we spent time understanding what our clients were looking to achieving. So and if I don't ask enough questions, how am I going to actually understand what your expectations are? So we had a really really strong philosophy on asking questions, understanding what expectations were. And only then can we actually meet them, let alone exceed them. So for us, it was really um, focused on delivering really high quality. Um, you know, a lot of branding was involved. You know, we, we, a lot of belief in what we did, and that that paid off. You know, the company grew, out and, and it was the trajectory was insane. You know, we we, we had no expectations of this. We, we honestly set the company up for for him and I to keep ourselves off the street. Um, just enough work for for myself and Andy. Laura was going to manage the back end of the company, and that, that was ideally the um, the plan. But it, it it grew so fast, and really within within the first year, you know, we're we're office bound, and that that's when it started really happening. And and we had I think six companies approach us within the first four years of operation, um, with uh, with you know seeking to to acquire us and some large organizations, you know, some really really big ones. And in the end, on um, in October. I think March 2012, we were on our um, fourth year of operation and we've got approached by a company called Global Energy Group who, um, who come in, they seem to have the best, uh, the values, I think we're, we're aligned in terms of values and, and you know, I really like the McGregors and Ian McGregor was someone who I you know, had a lot of trust for and um, and yeah, we signed, uh, signed on the dotted line on October 16th. Uh, 2016 and the reason I remember that, we were, we were in Singapore for the, um, the RAC. And uh, we're all there together, and I, I didn't know if I should tell anyone. I felt really bizarre. <laughs> I literally flew out that day, and I got a speeding fine going to the airport. So you have to wait three years when your speeding fine gets, uh, you get your, your points back. So that's when I knew uh, that my uh, my three-year, I guess, um, what do you call it, uh, golden handcuffs were, uh, were removed. So we spent three years in the company. I got my points back that day. Andy and Laura left within a year of the of the buyout, so they... Um, they, they left the company and then they bought a yacht and they've been going to Bahamas for the last few years, I suppose. And they're out, they're out there now and they're trying to get back home. So crazy time, man. Yeah, it is. So uh, so you stuck with it for the uh, 
for the three years from 2016. Uh, how was how was that watching your baby um, with other people driving, sitting at the steering wheel, deciding where it's going? Obviously, you would have had some input, but how did that find you? Well, the the way it happened, it was you know the reason we went with Global Energy Group is they have a very hands-on hands-off approach, and that's what we're seeking. You know, they let us drive the ship. There's very, very few changes that occurred. Um, 2015, when, you know, 2014, 2015, there was a bit of correction occurring. Um, we started kind of watching the price of oil go down. Um, that's when things started getting a little bit, bit more challenging. Um, I resigned on February, in February, 2015. So I was a few months away from my, um, my secondment period. So I resigned in 2015. There's a lot of decisions that had to be made that I wasn't really willing to do. Um, my daughter had, got a bone infection in October that year and she was really quite sick and I, I it made me realize you know there's, there's more to life than than being busy and um, you know I, I really struggled with all that so yeah we had um, so I resigned I guess over over, over a conversation and um, I walked away so yeah and, and watching it change I think up to then it really it maintained its, its culture quite well um, you know it's not the same company now as it is because it just got too big you know it's really hard to to control and you know, Vertex become a big beast now. And that was never really our, our goal. You know, uh, we got, you know, we got a lot of big projects and, you know, Vertex became, a, you know, one of these big players. But uh, once you once you grow at that level, it's really, really difficult to maintain that level of culture. And you know, it's a different company now than it was. And that's just part of uh, part of growth, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. But um, obviously it's something that you guys started with a, a dream to, keep two of you off the streets and then uh, before you know it, you're off the ropes and uh, and sitting in an office and then uh, all of a sudden speaking at the big table with uh, massive, massive multinationals. That's a massive achievement for, for two dodgy window cleaners from Perth, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> we never thought it was, you know, that that was our, um, and oh, I got a really funny story. We had our biggest contract meeting with, with, um, with, with Woodside. They had this big construction project where it's a greenfield rate job where basically the guys were going to be getting between thirteen to eighteen hundred dollars a day. So it was a really big project, and we walked in and we're ready. We're sitting down in the lobby, and I looked down, and Andy had two different shoes on his feet. I'm like, "How the hell did you not?" He had a brown shoe and a black shoe, and they're completely different shoes. It's like, "Oh, it was dark. Yeah, it was dark, but surely there was one's leather and one's kind of suede." Like I'm just looking at him, going, "We're going to our biggest meeting to date." you can't even fucking dress yourself. So, um, so we had a bit of a laugh. So we went in and, um, and, I, and I shielded him in, in the elevator. <laughs> so we're going up in this lift. We've got all these massive contract um, negotiators from Woodside and to basically saying, you know, that's it. You, you know, you'll be using this other company. They're, they're going to provide the level ones and twos and you guys, you guys will provide the level threes and that's how it's going to happen. We said, no, we're not doing it. And I'm like, what do you mean? You said, no, we're not doing it. So we walked out. Um, and I was trying to shield his feet still on our way out. And then we um, got a phone call halfway down the freeway for us to come back. And there we were. We went back and stood our ground and they, um, they accepted our rates. They accepted the fact that we were going to run um, autonomously as a rope access company. And, um, and that job really put us on the map. That was one of the biggest projects we've ever got involved with um, at that time. And you don't even need the right shoes on to get over the line. Is that what you're telling us? That's exactly what I'm telling you, mate. And I found I found the photos of, of, of the shoes the other day on, on one of my old computers, and i got to send that to Andy. Mate, that was just one of the funniest moments. You know? Yeah, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah, awesome. Love it, love it. Okay, so uh, let's uh, let's head way back in time. 
Uh, I know that you were a current level three for quite a few years, even though you'd um, you'd hung the harness up and you were wearing pointy shoes, whether they be brown and suede or black and leather, whatever they might have been, but obviously matching for you. Um, So um, what's the best job or jobs you've ever worked on in Rope Access and why were they the best job? We uh, we had a job here because we were doing these um, this tension netting very very early in the piece. Um, so with access management, we they scored a job on this armaments jetty, in a place called Garden Island, just off the um, just south of Perth. It's a military base, and basically they had this armaments jetty that needed inspection. It was concrete core work that needed to be done. So for four months, we we're basically setting nets for these inspectors to go. We're sitting on a standby vessel, which was my boss's. Um, little Zodiac with a 90 horsepower in the back, which we had to, uh, to drive down every day through all the submarines and all the destroyers and all the, uh, the frigates. And basically, we're, the very first day we're sitting there and I saw this great figure come underneath. I'm like, what the hell's that? It's a dolphin. So this dolphin's basically swimming. So I jump in the water, being the idiot I am, that thing takes off, obviously. So um, the following day, I go get a wetsuit. And every day, we're basically swimming with dolphins. We're actually doing wakeboarding during lunchtime. And, um, and setting up nets, and, uh, and we, we had such a great little system. So we were there for four months. So that is by far the best rope access job that I've ever ever been involved with. So more to do with the dolphins and the people than to do with the uh, with the rope access side, the, yeah. The rope, yeah, the rope access side. And, and and the other jobs that that really come to mind are, you know, we've did so many projects where we've we've had to really think outside the box. You know, some very technical access issues and. You know, we've had so many in, in, in our career and, you know, we got really good at, I guess, looking outside the box. And there's a lot of jobs where we, you know, working in, didn't really like working in, in, in cargo tanks, but being a, an ex-climber, we, you know, we, we really enjoyed that, that, that fear, that element where you're really on the edge and, you know, you're setting up some really gnarly systems and great rescue systems. And you're really, you know, that's what I missed when I started the company is just being part of the, that conversation, looking at a job, looking at the, the access system, how are we going to get there, how are we going to get them down, how, how are we going to retrieve them? And we started rigging for rescue really, really early in the piece. And um, that's something we did, especially in the cargo tanks. And so th- those are really good jobs, you know. And I don't miss packing my bag and having to go away, but I miss the banter. I miss that. Those were the, always the best jobs were when we had a lot of good guys on the jobs. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's, uh, that's uh, having done a few of these interviews with various guys, that seems to be the... The takeaway that I'm getting from this, it, the jobs seem to fall, in, fall into insignificance. It's the people that you're there with. And a lot of the time, especially guys working offshore, you don't have the support. You can't go to the office and, you know, get more That's gear right. or whatever you need. It's like, here's the here's the problem. This is what we've got. Let's solve the problem with a really good team. So that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. We did a job on, on the Karata Spirit where we had the first two on two off in WA. And that would have been in 2002, first ever long-term job. And we were all a um, big gang of us. So I think 2004, I think it would actually happen. And uh, Mark Bradford, um, Scotty Goodmanson, um, Aaron O'Hare, there's like a whole pack of Kincaid Wilkes. It's just a pack of legends, Andy, myself. Um, and we had, it was stinking hot February work and we're doing car- uh, welding in cargo tanks all day uh, for two on two off. And then one day, they, they had this little swimming pool. It's like a little, like a big tub and we'd fill it with fresh ocean water every day. And um, and that was just so good. And it was like, you know, 40, 50 degrees out there with no wind until one day the um, OEM 
and the captain of the ship saw one of the guys do a bombing from the second level. So um, then, of course, uh, as all things, uh, that got uh, taken away from us, <laughs> as you know. But yeah, it was a really good job as well. So many. I'm sure we could uh, talk about these all day, but um, yeah, there's, uh, there's one last real question that I want to ask you. So um, what advice would you give yourself as a level one if I could arrange for the DeLorean to turn up and you can go back and have a chat with yourself? Keep doing exactly what I was doing, man. Keep looking after yourselves, look after your friends, look after your mates, look after people that could technically be affected by what you're doing. Um, you know, secure your knots, um, you know, lanyards, lanyard your tools, man. You know, use use proper lanyards, don't drop shit. Be, take your time, breathe, um, really take your time, man. Just, and and no, don't get caught up in, in that perceived pressure of having to finish something for, for someone else's, you know, you don't rush, just take the time it takes to do the job safely. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people drop things. I've dropped things myself, trying to rush, trying to do things. So really that would have been the advice I would pass on, I suppose. And that's awesome. Yeah, definitely rings true today with, uh, you know, the um, dropped objects being a, a major issue that we have. And a lot of the time, as you say, the client's putting pressure on you to get it done. But as soon as it's done wrong, they're quite happy just to point the finger and blame you 100%. Exactly, mate. And that's the, and that's often we get caught up in that and, you know, the client is, is, yep, they're paying, you know, we're there to do it, to do a service, but often it's that communication too. We don't, people are afraid to, um, you know, to, to actually just have to be honest and, and, and open with the client and they're afraid of repercussion. But I think, um, you know, there, there is an element where we need to, to, to be open and honest because you're putting that perceived pressure. That's when people make mistakes, mate. And you can't go back. Like you said, you know, once the incident is done, it's, it's a much bigger process. And having gone through a few incidents in, in the past and having to go through the whole process of it, it's, it's it's horrendous so really just yeah take your time think it through if it doesn't look safe doesn't feel safe stop have a look at it reassess it and then approach it differently yeah that's uh, that's some awesome advice maybe uh your 25 year old self might have actually listened to you as well who knows oh mate he wouldn't have listened to anybody i reckon <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. He, he had he, he had to cut his rope. He had to have a rope cut before he started listening, mate. So, and I'm very grateful that did happen because that um, that was one of the biggest things that uh, that really allowed allowed me to realise how, how how precious this industry is and how quickly it happens, mate. Yeah, that's uh, that's an awesome story that you shared there, especially for uh, the guys who are out there working, uh, doing exactly what you were doing there. You know, five stories down, yep. uh, swing across, and then everything can possibly go wrong. Be wrong very very quickly that's it. that's it well that's uh that's been great chatting to you dennis as always uh we do get to catch up every now and then uh when i'm flying around uh, parts of australia but this is awesome to put something down on the uh on the podcast and thanks for sharing some amazing stories uh i think a lot of guys will get a lot out of it you know a guy who's been in the industry uh for a long time and walked longer paths and a lot of people building businesses uh, starting on trees and uh, and building it all the way up there and then uh, moving on to your, your future ventures. Do you want to uh, just tell us about what you're up to now? Give yeah. a little plug, let people know what's happening with uh, with the Big D. Well, the Big D starting a new, I started a new, um, I've gone on a different path now. It's really effectively using the, the, the lessons I learned from Vertec and, and culture and safety. Um, I've started a company called the, the Discovery Development Partners or Discovery Development Partners. Um, which is discoverydp.com.au. And it's basically working on transforming mindsets um, towards safety 
people and culture. And then we've got a sub-branch um, called the Discovery Collective. We were working with a psychologist, Emily May, and myself, we've just joined forces. This is gonna happen in six, six months from now, but we've actually accelerated it due to the current crisis. So right now we're March 23rd, are we? So when this comes up, yeah, 23rd of March, Corona's just kind of kicked in. We're in stage one lockdown. So, um, so Emily and I are really working on just getting out there and helping um, people and organizations deal with the current challenge that's happening uh, right now. So how, how do we deal with this change? How do we transform the way that we, we think and, um, and, and utilize uh, the modern technology that we have accessible to us as an organization and continue doing what we can uh, during this crazy time, man. So yeah, so Discovery Collective and Discovery Development Partners is my new my new gig. That's awesome. Uh, never one to sit still for very long, as always, Dennis. Uh, we'll definitely put those uh, links below if anybody's interested in uh, uh, reaching out to Dennis and, the, and his team and uh, see what they're doing. It may be something that uh, can help different people. As uh, Dennis said, uh, in Australia, we're in uh, level one lockdown at the moment, flights and all of that because of the coronavirus. So uh, I see seeing there's borders uh, closing uh, across Australia. Uh, but when this, uh, this podcast comes out, um, date to be set yet yeah, um, we'll most probably be living in a different world don't know what direction it's going to take us or where we're going to be but I know that we'll, we'll still be sitting here um, and moving forward which is the most important bit that's it mate we're, we're all in this together eh? there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment and that's effectively um, and it's giving us a uh, just a new hope in humanity so just everybody's just got to do the right thing and look after one another mate and what you're doing here Lee is just fantastic because you know the industry as as it was in the uh, in the early 90s to where it is now it's a big industry there's a lot of people out there doing this type of work and they'll um, they'll take a lot of out of these conversations mate so well done on on your part for doing this mate thanks Dennis that's awesome so uh, we're going to wrap this up now and uh, and I'll definitely catch up with you soon Dennis but thanks for listening everybody well, I'd like to say thanks again to Dennis for taking the time to uh, sit down and have a chat with me. That was awesome. Maybe giving you a bit of a background of how the Vertec group started and um, and Dennis's involvement with that, which is uh, pretty interesting to see, a different sort of angle to previous interviews we've had. So that's really cool. With the new stuff that he's doing, we'll have all of the links to his uh, social media and his, uh, his other things, um, his webpage and everything. That will be in our Facebook page, Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. So jump on there, like us, follow us and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll just try and keep pushing these things out so you guys uh, get some great information, some great tips, tricks, and we'll have some great chats. Anyway, for now, stay safe. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers.